Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Moosnick Museum is home to some peculiar oddities. Located at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, the museum has one of the country's largest collections of historic medical equipment from the 1800s. There, you can find a taxidermied kitten with two faces, a device designed to pump tobacco smoke up the rectums of drowning victims with the intention of shocking them back to life. Or you can take a gander at the world's largest hairball from the stomach of a cow. But there's something even stranger on display at the Moosnik. At first glance, it doesn't look like much. It's a small, scientific jar about five or six inches tall, maybe two inches in diameter. It has a large cork plugging the top. The glass around the bottle's mouth is cracked, so a lot of the solution that used to be inside has evaporated. What's left of the liquid is a light amber color, and what's floating around in it is a single, long piece of meat. That's sort of weird on its own, but what's even weirder is that this hunk of nondescript flesh is left over from one of the strangest events in the state's history, the Kentucky Meat Shower of 1876. What is a meat shower, you might be wondering? To be honest, it's pretty much exactly what you think it is. In 1876, chunks of meat fell from the sky, covering a swath of land the size of a football field. This bizarre event became national news, but then slowly faded from public consciousness. Scientists had compelling theories about what caused the showers in just a few months, but locals never really got their answer and it remained a mystery. These days, modern scientists are fairly confident they know what caused it. But for a long time, the only thing we knew for sure were the stories and the bizarre explanations people had concocted at the time. This is Science Solved It, and today's episode, The Kentucky Meat Shower. Welcome to Science Solved It, Motherboard show that explores the world's greatest mysteries that were solved by science. I'm Kaylee Rogers. Imagine it's 1876. You're a farm wife, working in your backyard and making soap 
on a cool, clear March afternoon. You're in Olympia Springs, Kentucky, about 50 miles east of Lexington. You're in the backyard, you're making your soap, and suddenly all around you, hunks of flesh start plopping into the grass from the sky. You cast your eyes up and you don't see a thing, but several pieces of mystery meat have fallen all around you. Most of them are small, about an inch or so, but a few are really big chunks. You see one that looks to be about half an inch wide and as long as your hand. Even if this wasn't the mid-19th century, this would be trippy AF. Like, she had an immediate concern that it was potentially her husband and her son who were away from the house at the time that somehow were sliced up and were being returned to her by the gods in this fashion of sliced meat. Meet Kurt Gody. I'm a professor of art at Transylvania University. While Kurt spends most of his time teaching sculpture and photography or working on his own community engagement art, he's also pretty much the world's foremost expert on meat showers. It's all because of a strange twist of fate that occurred after he got his job at Transylvania U. When I moved to Kentucky 20 years ago, one of the things I purchased was a book of unusual weather phenomenon. And in happened looking through that, I saw that there was a meat shower in Kentucky in 1876. Naturally, this caught Kurt's interest. And he started doing research online about the phenomenon. But his obsession truly peaked about a year later. I was photographing the old portraits at Transylvania University because we were creating a website that included portraits of people who were influential to the history of the university. And those portraits were stored in a number of different ways. And when I was going through and taking out old portraits, I found a jar that said, to be honest, most of the label was uh, torn off or, let's say, abraded off by other things that were in the same box. But most of the word that was left there was clearly Olympia. And I knew right away that that could be Olympia Springs. By dating the bottle itself and reviewing the history of the meat shower, Kurt was able to deduce that this bizarre hunk of flesh was almost certainly a sample from that very shower, one of dozens that had been sent to researchers around the country in the wake of the meat rain to try to uncover the mystery. The state's best scientists, and the state's scientists really were working at two universities, one of which is Transylvania University, where I currently teach, came in and collected samples and shipped them to different parts of the country. This is when the theories started to bubble up. People at the time had a whole bunch of ideas, many of which seemed ludicrous by today's standards. One popular theory that gained traction was that the meat was a form of vegetable matter called Gnostic that swells up and becomes visible when it gets wet from the rain. Now, it doesn't look anything like the meat that fell, and that wouldn't explain why it was also on trees and fences around, um, but that was, the, that was the first one. Another theory was that it was a substance called powder sir. So at the time, people believed that this so-called powder sir resulted when a gelatinous meteor had come into our atmosphere. As it crossed into our atmosphere, it was glowing and effluorescing like light bulbs, and it would scatter bits of gelatinous mass all over the ground. And then, mysteriously, this substance would dissolve shortly after landing. 
as fantastic as that sounds to see, couldn't possibly explain the meat rain because they shipped samples across the country, so it didn't dissolve shortly after landing. As for the farm wife's original reaction, that it was somehow bits of her chopped-up husband raining from above. That story actually gained a weird local following. Two Kentuckians who were having an an argument uh, with their new Bowie knives, so their large hunting knives, finally hashed each other up in such a fashion that uh, their flesh rained down over this field. That is fantastic. (laughs) Because it's still true that in Kentucky we're really that good at knife fighting. (laughs) And then there's Kurt's personal favorite theory. So that was one of the the New York Times theories, which is, uh, so this happened at the time when people were starting to understand the cosmic uh, meteor belts and that what meteor showers are are potentially exploded fragments of, of other planets that have have entered our kind of atmosphere and then come raining down as rock. But it was before an understanding of what the atmosphere does to things that aren't rock. And so there was a a theory um, that I think probably only lasted for a few days because of how, even at the time, it would have seemed a a bit outlandish, that um, when a planet exploded that did have life forms, not only did it create a kind of a meteor belt um, that potentially the Earth passed through, but also there would have been a belt of pieces of exploded animals that were on that. So there was a theory that what came in was a meteoric shower of flesh that just didn't come with any rocks. For whatever reason, the weight of this flesh passed through space and time separately from the, the traditional rock meteors. So the theory was that it's alien meat? Uh, I guess alien, yeah. Alien, more cosmic meat. I, I like cosmic meat better, but yeah, it could be aliens. It's funny you say alien meat. I never thought that. In my mind, I always imagined it was it was cattle on some other planet. <laughs> Those would still technically be alien. It would be alien cattle, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone at the time was so far out with their ideas. In fact, just four months after the meat shower... A professor of chemistry at Transylvania proposed a pretty compelling solution. When we come back from the break, we'll walk you through his theory and investigate for ourselves whether it really holds water. Hey guys, if you like our show, you might also want to check out Science Versus, a podcast from Gimlet Media that takes on fads, trends, and the opinionated mob. Science Versus dissects what's fact, what's not, and what's somewhere in between, like their recent episode on serial killers. Then he used her head for a dartboard, but he wasn't done killing. You never turn your back on a serial killer. That's Science Versus, hosted by Australian science journalist Wendy Zuckerman. Science VS. Welcome back. At the time of the Kentucky meat shower, there were a lot of strange theories about what could have caused these hunks of flesh to fall from the sky. One of the ways that locals immediately tried to solve the mystery was... Well, by eating the meat. Mm -hmm. 
So it's meat falls from the sky. Apparently that was not alarming enough to them to not eat it. And also in 1876, eating raw meat uh, was a, was an acceptable practice. So they they picked it up and um, pronounced pretty quickly that it was uh, mutton. Now there were several other brave neighbors that also ate it. One most kind of colorful story was from a man who claimed to be an expert in bear meat. And he determined that it was bear meat even before he ate it raw by the, by the feel of it and the greasy smell of it. After he discovered one of the only surviving samples of the meat, Kurt wanted to do some experimenting himself to see if he could identify what the meat actually was. First, he tried sending some DNA samples to a lab, but unfortunately, it was inconclusive because the sample had become too contaminated. So instead, being an artist, Kirk got creative about how we might be able to taste the meat for ourselves, you know, without dying. I also did a little bit of work with a taste laboratory in Cincinnati, which used to be connected to Procter & Gamble, because I loved the idea that meat fell from the sky and people picked it up and ate it. So I asked if they could create a jelly bean that tasted like whatever this meat sample tasted like. And they, to the best of their ability, did. And it's revolting. Kurt ate the jelly bean. And he had about 150 people from the community try the jelly beans, too, and describe what it tasted like. Despite locals at the time being certain that the meat showers were lamb, Kurt isn't so sure. Uh, I didn't get any notes of lamb, because that is a very distinct taste. So to me, it it tasted much more like, you know, just some kind of gamey meat. I don't know, maybe rabbit. Luckily, about four years into his somewhat obsessive journey into investigating the Kentucky meat showers, Kurt stumbled upon a theory that had been proposed but largely overlooked at the time, and it seemed to him to be the most likely explanation. Vulture vomit. That's right, vulture vomit. So let's get one thing out of the way, is is that they don't vomit for the same reason we vomit. That is Joe Walston. I'm the the vice president for field programs at the Wildlife Conservation Society, so I manage and oversee our global programs around the world. While Joe generally focuses on mammals, he's recently become a bit of a vulture expert. Recently, I'm now overseeing some conservation work, both in, in Africa and in Latin America, related to vultures, both in the New World and the Old World, because they're a group that's um, deeply threatened um, by a bunch of activities that are human-related, um, and they need our help in recovery. Joe told me that vultures don't typically vomit from feeling sick. That's because their stomachs are super acidic. It allows them to digest all the gross stuff they eat, like partially decayed carcasses. But they do vomit, and it's for a really practical reason. Meat's heavy. If you're a vulture who's just gorged yourself on the rotting carcass of a deer, and you've pretty much eaten your weight in deer flesh, you're going to want to take a minute to digest. Unfortunately, if something startles you, you've got to get airborne and fast. And it's hard to fly with a belly full of meat. So... If you want to take off quickly with a huge amount of of weight, the first thing you do is you're going to vomit. Vultures will vomit, sometimes from a tree where they've been resting before taking off, and sometimes in the air. They just regurgitate, empty their stomachs, and away they go. 
if one can imagine that vultures are, let's say, in treetops, they are just starting to digest, they've been able to move off the ground, but then again are scared and have been uh, attacked or they've been shot at. Um, they may fly off and at that time, to, in order there's not enough heat to actually naturally move them up and get them into safety, they may choose to again vomit whilst flying in order that they can get sufficient height to be able to avoid predation. The theory of the meat showers is that a vulture or many vultures had recently fed and were startled for one reason or another. As they were taking off, they vomited that partially digested rotten meat all over this poor farm wife's yard, scaring her and confusing her neighbors for years. According to Joe, this theory makes total sense. It's absolutely plausible that a um, vultures may do this. I think it's it's been uh, accounted for in the past. I think um, on a on a clear day that things uh, meet falling from the sky, it has a possibility. I think it's you know people never really know whether it fell 20 feet from a passing uh, swooping animal as it tried to take off uh, over there or whether it dropped 400 feet or whatever it is on theirs. I very much doubt people, even those who witnessed it, understood how high this was falling from. I think it's more plausible that it came from a lower altitude as an animal was trying to, um, even from a treetop or someone trying to escape predator. Kurt thinks this is the most likely answer too. The flakes that came down would make sense that they would be bite-sized pieces. In fact, when Miss um, Crouch does describe it, she talks about them in flakes, and she does talk also about one particular piece um, that was about the size of a half dollar, and it was thicker. And so, you know, it's not all flakes. It's not all like it was uh, run through a meat slicer. So it is different sizes, and it's kind of torn pieces. That does make sense. That also makes sense because the scientists who looked at it under a microscope didn't venture any kind of guess as to what animal it came from, but they noticed that there was cartilage and lung tissue. So they were identifying specific parts of animals, and it would make sense that those parts could be identified even if it had been temporarily in the stomach of a vulture. Even though the vulture vomit theory was proposed just a few months after the meat showers, word of the explanation didn't spread very far. People had moved on to other stories, and we didn't have the advantage of instant communication that we have today. Instead, locals just continued to wonder what could have possibly been the source of the mysterious meat shower. In the end, that might have been for the best, at least as far as vultures are concerned. Vultures already have a pretty crummy reputation in our culture. For a long time, including in the 1800s, farmers thought that vultures were a threat to livestock. They would shoot them on sight, even though vultures almost exclusively eat animals that have already died. Joe told me that vultures are an essential part of their ecosystems. They help stop the spread of disease, and they contribute to the decomposition cycle. Yet many vulture species around the world are facing extinction due to humans. If folks in the 1800s also suspected that vultures were capable of raining down scary, smelly bits of flesh on their yards, it might have been just another reason to kill these strange, important birds. 
the challenge we're facing um, vultures is really emblematic of many of the, the, the challenges that wildlife are facing um, uh, across the world, which is um, human activity, um, not always targeted, just sometimes just unknowingly creating devastating uh, threats to these, these species. The greatest show of our own, probably humanity, is being able to save not just the most beautiful uh, lions, tigers and, and gorillas of this world, but being able to, to save the, uh, the, less, uh, um, the less attractive animals of the world. And um, f- for me, that's, uh, it's, it's, there's no better species that, that typifies that than the vultures. Vultures, it turns out, are a species we should all be worried about conserving, even if they do cause the occasional meat shower. Science Solved It is a production of Vice Media and Motherboard. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, at Science Solved It. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Cases. Production assistance was provided by Josh James at WUKY. Our theme music is by Reximus. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Next time on Science Solved It. You don't realize how obvious changes are when you get sort of acquainted with the sky and then suddenly out of nowhere something, the brightness of Polaris appears where it shouldn't be. You kind of notice it after a while. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.